0: Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. How are we doing? Good? Hey, it's good, good to hear from you guys. Glad, glad you're awake. It's a little chilly, so you guys should be awake. Um, well, if you're here with us for the first time, know that we're glad we're here. Glad you're here. We really value you. Um, this week, uh, we're starting a new sermon series, so this is a great time to be here. That's the King in the Kingdom. This is going to be a six-week, three-part series. Uh, that will take us to Christmas, and it's anchored out of one verse, okay? It's Matthew one one. Here it is. It's up on the screen. Jumping right in. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's it. Six weeks. One verse. Um, don't worry, we're actually going to cover a th- couple thousand years of history. It's going to be a doozy, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, because in, in all honesty, uh, we're going to cover some of my own personal favorite topics. God has been, honestly, God has been working on me and my heart uh, to, to create this series for probably 16 uh, years, up, really up until the past week. Um, and so we're going to see a lot of the burden that drives New City Church, while we're doing what we're doing. Um, and so with that said, there are a few themes that we'll see throughout this series. Uh, again, I want to remind us what we're doing. We're going to see some of our vision um, for what we want to see God do really over the next couple of years, over the next year. Uh, and second, I hope it'll be faith building. Um, looking at the importance and the necessity of, of just faith in the midst of all that we're doing, and then uh, third, I want us to I want to prepare us for Christmas. Okay. So uh, many people, you know, we wait till Thanksgiving or we wait till after Christmas to start uh, after Thanksgiving to start um, decorating for Christmas. Um, and completely out of character, my wife this week was like, "Hey, I think," or a couple weeks ago, she was like, "I think I want to start decorating for Christmas," uh, and I'm like, "What about?" Thanksgiving, apparently when you move to Florida, you just bypass the fall and go directly to Christmas, so Christmas, here we come. Um, So over the next six weeks, we've got these three parts to this series, and here are the three parts, okay? Uh, We'll spend two weeks on God's promise to Abraham, okay, we're going to spend two weeks on God's promise to David, and two weeks on the coming king, that being Jesus, and thus, working backwards from Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham okay? And no, uh, Jesus uh, is not literally David's son. He's actually like his great, great 14 times over grandson, okay? Uh, David and Jesus are come from the line of Abraham. Uh, they come from the same genealogy, and both Abraham and David were important to the New Testament writers, so they're really important to us. Uh, so we're going to look at the key points in their life, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the big ideas for each part of these series. So each, each of these, two, these three parts, we're going to go ahead and look at the the, the big ideas for each. The first part, we're going to see God's promise to Abraham. Uh, part one, the kingdom is for all peoples. Okay, looking at, God, at global missions and God's heart for the entire world. In our second part, we're going to look at God's promise to David. The kingdom is for God's people, specifically God's people. Looking at church planting and building and advancing God's forever kingdom. And then finally, the promise of the coming king. We're going to see uh, how these promises were ultimately fulfilled through the birth of Jesus. Okay, Uh, which leads us to our third part in the series, the kingdom comes with a king, thus Christmas. right? So for today and next week, we're going to be in the first part, uh, part one, which is our big idea for today, the kingdom is for all peoples. That's our big idea for today, the kingdom is for all peoples. And no, peoples up here, it's not a typo, Um, I'll explain that later, but between this week and next week, we're going to cover a lot of ground in the book of Genesis, looking at the overview of the life of Abraham, uh, but specifically, we're going to be looking at God's promises, God's promise that he gave to Abraham. I'm going to skip and summarize a lot of stuff, uh, because we're covering about 10 chapters in two weeks, okay? Uh, Which is about 30 years in the life of Abraham. Something fun, uh, our New City kids have been going through the life of Abraham as well, so this could be a great dinnertime devotional with your kids Today we're going to cover chapters twelve to seventeen, and then next week we're going to go um, fifteen to twenty-two. So I'm going to put up on the screen and read the parts where God is specifically uh, making His covenant, His prov- uh, His promises to Abraham, and then I'm going to summarize a lot of the stuff in between so we can kind of wrap our head around the story. Um, but I'm going to we're going to emphasize the promises today, uh, and then you know more more so than everything in between these promises. So give me about eight minutes. Um, to go through these seven chapters, to tell the whole story, and then um, on the back end, I'll explain the promises a little bit more, and then we'll see how this fits specifically for us today, and how this affects New City Church, um, specifically New City Church. And so that'll be our time. And so uh, you guys ready? Are you ready? Okay, why don't you look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready, okay? I'm ready. Because say, hey, I can keep up, right? We're going to go. Uh, so look at Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, which, by the, which by the way, Abram is Abraham. He gets his name changed, and you'll we'll see some of that later. Um, he said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So we've got 75 year old Abram. He went with his nephew Lot and his wife and the whole farm, right, including all the animals and their people to this undisclosed land that God promised, right? And so I'm sure Sarai, his wife, was very encouraged by this. Like, hey, babe, uh, where where are we going? And he was like, well, you know, I'm not really sure. God just told us to go, so we're going to go. And. Uh, why are we doing this, by the way? And well and then Abraham would come in, Abraham would come in and say, Because God said he would make us into a great nation, and he said he would make my name great. And God also said, Through me all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so because of that I'm going. And Sarah was like, Well, that's my man. I'm going to follow him. Uh, Let's go, peeps. And then they they packed up the farm, they got their people, uh, and they moved. They had no clue where they were going or really even which direction, which I kind of think is funny. But they moved, and then they headed to the land of Canaan. And when they got to Shechem, which was kind of like a city in Canaan, uh, we see in verse 7 that God showed up again. Okay, God showed up again in verse 7, and this is what it says. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. He had appeared to him. So Abram, he probably looks at his wife at this point. He's probably smiling and says, Hey babe, see, it's happening. Uh, It's all happening. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through me. Uh, God made a promise. And this is just God's little reminder to us that God keeps his promises. So I just uh, imagine Sarah, Abram and Sarai at this point thinking, Um, probably a couple hours later at this point, saying, wait, did he just say uh, your offspring will get this land? Because Sarah at this point is probably thinking, does does God actually know that I can't have babies? Like, I'm barren. This isn't going to work. So I, I love this, because God didn't tell them anything about this promise coming from their offspring while they were at home, right? In their comfort, it probably would have felt too crazy for them to go at that point. They may not have gone. And I just find this fascinating. God told them this, and they had already packed up everything and moved. And once they were knee-deep in their commitment, and then look at verse 10. This is, this is so fascinating. It says, Now there was a famine in the land. So he had to go to Egypt, but Abram was nervous that they would kill him and take his beautiful wife Sarai. So Abram had this grand plan to disguise Sarai as his sister so that he would get the bride price for Sarai. Uh, and this is about the time when I think uh, Sarai looks at him and says, Babe, what in the world is happening here? Like, what is going on? This is not going as we had planned. Our land that we were promised that would make us great is essentially worthless. Right? There's a famine in the land. It's not even going to be for us. It's going to be for our offspring, which might I remind you, I can't make babies. And here I am, your wife, disguising myself as your sister. Babe, I think the joke's on us, right? Can you imagine this moment for them? The faith that it took them to continue on. Just uh, because at this point, this promise that God made to them, it didn't seem so promising. Just think about it. God made a promise, showed them the land that would make them great, and then right after, there was a famine in this land, and then they were put in danger. And oh yeah, don't forget, this promise is going to come through their descendants, which doesn't seem to be biologically possible. But they kept their faith and they continued. And eventually it all worked out. Abram later uh, made plans. uh, uh, Abram's plans made Pharaoh mad when he found out Sarai was Abram's wife because it made God mad because God wants to uphold marriage and God punished Pharaoh for it. But eventually it all worked out uh, and they took all their stuff and they kept trucking along. Uh, But Abram and his nephew Lot They had too much stuff. Um, Apparently their cows and their sheep couldn't get along, so they had to part their ways. Uh, Abram told Lot, hey, you get the first pick of the land. Uh, Where do you want to go? So uh, Lot took what he thought would be the better land, uh, the more fertile ground, but unfortunately the people there, in the land that Lot chose, they weren't so great. They were very evil people. And if you're familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, that's where Lot went. Okay, so let's just say uh, Lot chose the short straw in this. Right? I, want you guys, I want you guys to commit to me to go back and read all of this, check this for yourself. I'm just summarizing a lot of this here. But then we get to chapter uh, 13, where God shows up again. At the end of chapter 13, starting in verse 14, this is what it says. It says, The Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram, he gets another glimpse of the promise. So a few more details come out about this promise, uh, and he's encouraged, he, feel, he feels good, he's fired up. And then what happens? Right after that, Abram's nephew Lot gets captured by a bunch of bad kings. They talk, they, take all, they took all of his stuff, Uh, all of his food, and they took everyone else's provisions around him. So then Abram had to go and rescue Lot in chapter 14. He gets his boys, his trained soldiers, and he saves the day. He gets Lot and his stuff and all of his people. So yet again, God reaffirmed his promise. God showed himself to Abram again, and Abram immediately after finds difficulty. There seems to be a reoccurring theme here. And then right after that, at the end of chapter 14, Abram receives a blessing from Melchizedek, the first priest we see in the Bible. So Abram's humbled by this, right? He's encouraged, and he's probably a little confused and maybe even a little worried because these promises seem to be followed with difficulty. Abram continues to receive these promises uh, that God is going to make his name great, that everyone under his care will be blessed, but the problem is it doesn't seem so fun at times. But yet, God, just as God always does, he shows up at just the right time. Look at chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, Fear not. Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said... Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So I'm going to stop there. Um, we're going to pick back up at chapter 15 next week. But for now, I want to skip up to chapter 17 so we can kind of get a more full picture of, the, of, the, of this promise given to Abraham. It's the third time that God shows up. Uh, and then we also see in chapter 17 how God changed Abram's name to Abraham, so we're not so confused about it. So look at chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring that you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Okay. Look at your neighbor and say, we made it. Okay. We made it. There are a few recurring themes. So I wanted to get through all of that. I wanted to kind of buckle down and get through it because I wanted to get to some of these recurring themes that we're going to see through this promise. Okay, and that's going to be our outline today. So our outline are going to be these themes. And here it is. God's promise to Abraham, number one, is for a multitude of nations. Okay? Number two, God's promise to Abraham will be fulfilled through his offspring. And then number three, God's promise to Abraham brings great blessings to his descendants. So before we jump into these three points, I want to first address the concept of a covenant. Or a promise. Uh, what's, what's happening here with Abram and God is often referred to as a covenant. So that's the phrase that they actually use here in the Bible, in our text today. God said to Abraham in chapter 17, verse 4, he said, Behold, my covenant is with you. So that's what he calls it. So you may not be f- familiar with this term covenant. It's essentially an agreement or a promise. I'm using promise today. That's the phrase I'm going to use today for just for simplicity's sake. Um, this idea is often used, or right, a covenant is often used uh, when people get married, you know, a husband and a wife make a covenant or a promise to one, to, to one another. Um, unfortunately, we live in a fallen world, and promises given in a marriage are often uh, taken very lightly. Uh, this promise with God and Abraham, this was not taken lightly. It was viewed more like we view a binding or a legal contract, like a good contract that would hold up in court. There's no wiggle room for this. Okay, there's no exception. It's a promise with absolute certainty. And honestly, that's how we should view a marriage covenant, but that's for another day, okay? Um, Something we need to get here is that God does not have in his character to lie or to not keep a promise. This is important. We've got to get this. This is a a key part in our series because God, listen, God is the ultimate promise keeper. With that said, let's look at our first point, okay? Number one, God's promise to Abraham is for a multitude of of nations. So, right off the bat, uh, the Bible, in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, the Bible uh, begins to paint a picture of God being a global God, a God that cares for the entire world. Just get this. In the very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God cares for the entire world. That's what, he, that's what we're getting at. That includes you and me and the animals. Right? and the earth, the entire earth, and every single one of the seven plus billion people in the world. Every single one. This concept of God being a global God is seen throughout the entire Bible. We see this from the very beginning of the book of Genesis all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. Um, and a real, a real quick uh, word study here on this nation that comes up throughout the entire Bible, this idea of nations, this concept of nations is first introduced in Genesis 10. Um, it, does, it does not mean, nations here does not mean geopolitical country like the United States or Brazil, right, or Germany. Nations in the Bible is better understood in referring to a group of people, right, with languages and culture differences. We know from the New T- Testament that nations, nations is more people-focused than land-focused, that's important. Nations is more people-focused than land-focused. Land For example, it's estimated that the United States alone has over 400 different groups of people or nations that would constitute different nations in the Bible. So the United States alone has over 400 different nations inside of it, when, according to the Bible's terminology. So when we think nations, we need to think of people, right? Or as, 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 as our point states, peoples, like multiple peoples, not geopolitical countries. So knowing that, we had to kind of get to that, so knowing that, let me show you how Abraham's promise is for a multitude of nations or a multitude of peoples. Look back with me uh, at the first promise we see given in Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, okay? Verses 1 to 3, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And this is where we see it in in verse 2. This is, I will make you a great nation. He says, I will make you a great nation. And a little further down, uh, it says, in you, right, he's talking about through Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he says in verse 4, he says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Some translations here would say peoples. And then down in verse 6, God says, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations or peoples, and kings shall come from you. So, I mean, we could spend hours and hours and hours, I'm not kidding, walking through the Bible, looking at God's heart for the nations. I mean, we see it in every single book of the Bible that God is a global God. Like, it's, it's, it's in every single book almost. God's heart is for people all over the world, that God is jealous for people from every tribe, language, people, and nation to worship Him, to know Him. And we'll talk about this more in our second point, but we know that God's promise to Abraham extends um, thousands of years to us today, right? It it, it comes to us, to to our time on earth where we are right now, but we know that God's heart is for all people, right? People here in Tampa, in the major cities of Europe, right? The huts of Africa and the villages of India. God's heart is for all people all over the world. We just talked about uh, that term nations, but I want to quickly talk about the word multitude, okay? Multitude. It comes up frequently um, when we see God's promise to Abraham uh, or Abram. It seems like a pretty basic term. Uh, You could also say many or a very large number. Uh, That's kind of the same idea that they're getting at here. God told Abraham in Genesis 15, uh, drawing off of this same idea of a multitude, he said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Right, so he's talking about this multitude and all of the offspring and numbering the stars. So God equated the multitude he was referring to that would come from Abraham, right, the multitude of his offspring, he equated it to the number of stars. And so every time I, every time I think about this verse, I, I think about this, about Abraham numbering the stars. I always think of this, uh, this road trip that I took out west several years back. Um, I'll never forget you know, just laying down in the middle of a field, you know, in the middle of nowhere Kansas. Like, right? we didn't have a tent. Um, there wasn't a, a single light turned on around us anywhere. Uh, no light pollution whatsoever. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And laying there, it was completely fat, right? It's like as far as you could see. There, wasn't, there weren't trees anywhere, no mountains, Nothing, 180 degrees in every direction, stars covered every single square inch of the sky. And I was utterly, I just, I'll never forget the picture that I, that I have in my head of being utterly amazed of the stars and sitting there and thinking, just trying to count the shooting stars, right? I mean, it, I'm not kidding, at least 10 to 20 shooting stars were going on all, at, all the time. Just counting that at once was difficult enough. Right, trying, to, trying to count the shooting stars alone was a challenge. So when God tells Abraham to number the stars, I think he gets a mental picture of just amazement. Right? I mean, he's just amazed. I think, this is a, I think this is like the Old Testament version of God telling him God will do far more than he could ever imagine. Being inspired. I think Abraham here is inspired by the wonder of God because God is saying to Abraham, try, the, try to number the stars you see, And God's going to do far more, far more than you can, far more than you can count. But then we see later in the Bible, more specifics about what God meant when he said multitude. The multitude that would be promised through the descendants of Abraham. And this is important. Okay, because we we could, we could, we could hear multitude or large number and think, oh yeah, I can see that. Like, uh, like God cares for a lot of people. Like, God cares for more people than we can even count. He cares for many nations and people. But the problem is, that leaves room for us to think, maybe not some people or peoples and nations. Maybe some nations get left out. But we know, no, that's not true. That is not true. Jesus said right before he left this earth to make disciples of all nations. And then... At the very end of the Bible, God shows us a picture and a promise for us here today. Where people are worshiping from every tribe, language, people, and nation. That every single one, not a single, not a single nation gets left out. Not a single tribe, not a single people, not a single language, not a single nation gets left out from God's redemptive purposes. So God wants salvation to come from every single one. So that so that kind of that wraps up our first point that God's promise to Abraham is for all peoples, right? God's promise to Abraham is for the entire world, that God is a global God and wants a global people. So let's look at our second point, okay, and see a second important detail about this promise, all right? Number two, God's promise to Abraham will be fulfilled through his offspring, okay? Abraham promise, Abraham's promise will be fulfilled through his family, like his blood family that will be born from his wife, Sarai, who remember is barren, and repeatedly, over and over and over again, God reminds him of this promise. It seems very challenging and difficult that uh, that will be kept through. This promise is going to be kept through his offspring. So we see one example of this in Genesis 20, uh, seventeen seven. This is what it says. I'll just read it for you. It says, "I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring." and after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So, again, this is very clear here that Abraham's promise is fulfilled through his offspring, which, let me remind you again that Sarah, his wife, is barren and has been deemed not able to have kids. So, this is next week, but next week we'll talk about Abraham's faith in all of this. How his faith in the midst of a given promise, uh, how he, re- he kept his faith in the midst of a given promise when it didn't seem so promising. But for today, we know, we do know that Abraham and Sarai, they did have a child. And it came, uh, God came through and kept his promise because, why, God is the ultimate promise keeper. God upholds his covenants every time. Right? God never fails God always keeps His promises, and we know that as God unfolds thousands of years of history, that God did in fact, God did in fact make Abraham's lineage great. Through just think about this: through Abraham's genealogy, we see many great tribes and kings, right? Many descendants from Abraham. Descendants come from Abraham. Uh, Thousands of years of Israel's history in the Bible is traced back to Abraham. So practically, we see this promise of a multitude of nations, it's partially fulfilled through his descendants, because kings and nations, they did come from the line of Abraham. Many of them did, we see that through the history, but I say partially, specifically for a reason, because God also made it clear that this would be an everlasting covenant. This would be a forever promise, and we see this, both in chapter twelve and in chapter seventeen, that God would make this promise forever. This promise is forever, which is ultimately we know now that is fulfilled through Jesus. So when we look at our gene- when we look at our one verse in, in Matthew chapter one, and then which after that follows a long genealogy, when we see the long genealogy that traces from Abraham to Jesus, the New Testament authors are show- taking extra special care in showing us that Jesus came from the line of Abraham, making, showing how Abraham's line, his offspring, were great, how Abraham was exceedingly fruitful, and how he was more than the stars. Thus, Abraham's promise is fulfilled completely in Jesus. It wasn't temporarily or partially fulfilled. It was completely fulfilled through the saving power of the cross to make God's people for, people for God great. Right, through the cross, through Jesus, God made, um, God made great among a multitude of nations through the cross. This was made completely, this was completely fulfilled, the forever promise. It was, it was completely and 100% fulfilled through Jesus. Because the only way to have everlasting life, the only way to have life forever, eternal life, to keep this promise forever is through the gospel. We know that nations and kings, right? We know that nations and kings will rise and fall promises and contracts with a person or people. They often will end. Oftentimes when a person dies, they end in death. But we know that because of the gospel, through Jesus' death on a cross, Jesus took the fall for our sins so that we could rise with him to be with God forever. (laughs) Jesus, get this, Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated death, and because Jesus defeated death and rose from the dead to be with God forever, he made the promise of Abraham an everlasting promise, a forever promise, because of of Jesus at the cross. Jesus, Jesus sealed the promise of an everlasting covenant when he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and defeated sin and death. And because... And because he sealed the promise for an everlasting covenant for a multitude of nations all over the world, listen, people or peoples that trust in Jesus, people like you and me, when we trust in Jesus, we get grafted in to Abraham's promise. So check this out. Don't miss this. Okay, When we put our faith in Jesus, for those that believe in Jesus, we get to reap the blessing of the promise of Abraham, which leads us to our third point. God's promise to Abraham brings great blessings to his descendants. Yes, again, Abraham's descendants, they did receive great blessings. They received a land for a time, right? They received great wealth, many of them for a time. They were exceedingly fruitful. They had many children for a time. And kings did, in fact, come through Abraham's descendants. But as we already said, it wasn't forever, it wasn't everlasting. The only, listen, the only way this promise can be ultimately fulfilled forever is through Jesus. The Bible is very clear. The only way anyone can receive an eternal blessing is through trusting in Jesus. Every other blessing a person receives is temporary. It's for a time, but the greatest blessing we can receive is an eternal blessing. This is the greatest blessing that we can receive, to be with God, our Maker, forever. Look back with me at verses, at God's initial promise to Abraham, chapter 12, verse 3. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, we see here that Abraham's promise came with both blessing, but check this out, it also came with a curse. It came with a blessing and a curse. Those that blessed Abraham would be blessed, and those that dishonored Abraham would be cursed. Okay? And we've seen this promise given to Abraham. It had a temporary fulfillment, but it also had an ultimate eternal fulfillment. So the temporary fulfillment of both this blessing and the cursing was shown through the throughout the history of God's people in the Old Testament. Right, we see story after story after story in the Bible of God's blessing his people and cursing those that dishonor him. So if the if the temporary fulfillment is seen through through God's people, through the history of God's people in Israel, and we also know that the eternal fulfillment of this promise is ultimately fulfilled through Jesus, then both, if that's true, then both the eternal blessing and the eternal cursing are also fulfilled in the same way. Okay? This is important. Follow me here. All right? Follow me. We see the promise confirmed in the New Testament. Those who dishonor Jesus by rejecting Jesus, they receive an eternal cursing. And those who bless Jesus by trusting in Jesus receive an eternal blessing. So for all of us here today, there's only two options. We either have an eternal blessing or an eternal cursing. We must choose. Every single person on the planet must choose. There's no middle ground. The eternal blessing comes through trusting in Jesus, but the eternal cursing comes through rejecting in Jesus. Listen, if, there, if, there's, if you're here and you're undecided on this, we urge you to make a decision. This eternal blessing, this eternal blessing is far greater than we could ever imagine. The eternal blessing found in Christ is far greater than we could ever imagine. But this eternal cursing is far worse than we would ever dare dream possible. This is important. Jesus was born from the offspring of Abraham, lived a perfect life, perfectly upheld God's standard, God's covenant, and because you and I, we couldn't uphold this standard, and because of Jesus, he was born, lived a sinless life, and then died a criminal's death, so that you and I are able to receive the eternal blessing promised to Abraham, this is important, we must decide. We can't sit idle about this. This is a decision that every single person on the planet must make. To be eternally blessed or eternally cursed. this is where I want you guys to really zero in. Because this is true for every single person on this planet. There's not a tribe, language, people, or nation that is not faced with this reality. Every single person must decide, including those that have never heard. Don't even know that there is a decision to make. They have no clue. No clue. Don't even have a category in their life in their, in, in their understanding for an eternal blessing or an eternal cursing. They have no clue. There's no, there's no understanding that the wages of their sin is death. They have no clue that there is this very simple way for an everlasting blessing. Right? People all over the world sitting in huts and villages and in massive high-rises in major cities, they are without knowledge of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And the only option they have is to reject Jesus because they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, you cannot trust Jesus. Thus, we're withheld. You're withheld. Whoever rejects Jesus are withheld from God's eternal blessing. New City Church, this is why we're planning a church here in Tampa. This is our burden. This is why we're laboring here. This is why our struggle And our difficulty, this is why it's worth it. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are are not enough people going to the ends of the earth to tell people who have never heard, that have no concept of the cross, to know that an eternal blessing awaits them behind the bloody cross. We have good news to share. But it's it's only good news if it gets there in time. This is gripping. The task at hand is urgent. We so we so desperately want to be a church that does everything possible, right? Everything necessary to get the gospel to the ends of the earth with urgency, multiply a harvest here in Tampa to send out to send out a harvest to the harvest to those who have never heard. I've been praying that God would bring a, a harvest of salvation here in Tampa, so that a harvest would come from areas and places that have never heard. This is why discipleship is so important for us here at New City Church. And this is why I, I personally regularly pray Psalm 67 over our church. This is what it says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Will you join me in praying for a harvest so we can send out a harvest? The task at hand is urgent, but we're not people without hope. This is, we're a people with a, a great promise. Look back at the end of chapter 12, verse 3. God said, this is what he said, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the peoples, all the families of the earth, they will receive this eternal blessing. Now, I want to be very clear here, okay? He's not saying that every person on the planet will receive this blessing. He's not saying that. God means what he means in Revelation 5, that someone, at least one person from every tribe, language, people, and nation will receive the eternal blessing given by God through Jesus Christ. It will happen. It shall happen. It's part of God's promise, and it's not, it's not in God's character to lie. Because remember, God is the ultimate promise keeper. So when we pray and we go and we give and send to the unreached parts of the world, to the families of the earth that have never heard of Jesus, we can do it in great confidence because God has promised that it will happen. It will happen, maybe not in our timing, but we can certainly play a part. So if God is a global God, if God cares for all peoples of the earth, then we must be a global people. We must be a global church that cares and gives and sends to the ends of the earth. There's no way we can we can give and go to every area. But, but we can do for one that we wish we could do for many. And this is why New City Church is partnering with an international church planning team in South Asia in a brand new region of over 20 million people and over 16,000 villages in an area where it's estimated that 400 people die each day. Over 400 people die each day without Jesus. And we're helping to take a small slice of the map. We're just going to try and own it. We want to send teams here. We want to give financially here. And we want to commit to praying for this area. So if God's heart is for the ends of the earth, for the entire world to hear, we want our hearts and actions to line up with God's heart. We want to put some skin in the game. We want, to do more. we want to be more than just cheerleaders. We want to labor and work to do, ev- to do everything possible because the task at hand is urgent. So this comes with a few things. A few action steps for each of us. Every single one of us. Every single person in this church is included in this. And with that said, I want to close with kind of what this is going to look like for us. Okay? Just dream with me for a second. What would it look like what could it happen if, 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 our, if our church, every single one of us, prayed specific and targeted prayers for one area, for one family of the earth, so to speak? Consistent and constant prayers for God to bring the blessing of salvation for this area. Like, like we're all trying to wear God out for this area. What would happen? I really don't know. But I do know this. Uh, from a time being overseas, almost every single time a group of people pray committed, continual, specific and targeted prayers for a specific unreached people, God tends to move in that area. Almost every time. I'm talking about like areas where people have been cold and turned off to the gospel for centuries. Like centuries, hundreds of years. People pray continual, specific and targeted prayers and God starts to move. Hearts start to soften. People start to be receptive to the gospel. And and oftentimes, God saves people. Now, I want us to be a people that pray in great faith and beg God to move. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be providing all of us, each of you, with clear action steps on how we can pray, what we can pray for, and what this will look like for us. But right now, I just want us to commit in our minds and hearts to pray, to be a people that would pray. And secondly, we want to be a people that give. Something that uh, we know to be often true is the mission of God will only go as far as the generosity of God's people. Giving generously is God's call to every Christian, is a part of God's call to every Christian. Generosity is part of discipleship. That's what it is. Over, and over the next several weeks, we're going be, to begin a generosity initiative to send money outside of our church for both domestic church planning and international church planning to unreached parts of the world. This, will, this is going to be like an above and beyond generosity outside of your normal giving, and this is not. but this is not for New City Church. This is not for our church. It's to go, it's to go outside of our church. And in a lot of ways, it really doesn't make sense for, uh, for a church plant that is being supported by outside churches and people. Um, I mean, we don't even have our own space, right? Uh, and We have a support-raised staff, but we believe that God's global mission is worth it. We believe it's worth the investment. So we're bypassing our own needs, and we're sending money thousands of miles away, because God's a global God, and we're committed to being a global church. So be praying now for how you can use your finances generously for God's glory. And then third, I want to I call us to go. You know, a dream of mine, um, you know, a dream I've had for our church is that every single person would be bought in to God's global mission, and that means praying, that means giving, and it also means going. If we're gonna be a sending church, a church that sends people to the lost and unreached around the world, that means we, right? Each of us in here, we must be willing to go. We must create a culture of going and sending. And in order to create this culture, we actually have to like go. You know? We have to go. We have to do it. Like we have to get people to the ends of the earth. So just just imagine with me for a second. What would it look like if each of us made a commitment to be among an unreached people group for five to seven days by the end of 2021. So that's over the next two years. Right? What type of sending culture could we create? What type of heart for God's global mission could we create if we were each committed to spending time with an unreached people group? What could happen? right? If the people who are in our church right now, right, our small little church plant, what could happen if each of us committed to being among a people that have never heard the gospel. And then, like taking someone else who's not with our church right now, getting them to come alongside with us, what would it look like if we see someone come to Christ here, get baptized here, and then a couple months later, the person that leads them to Christ takes them to see a picture of God's heart for the entire world? I want each of you to consider this. Consider being in an international context among an unreached people for five to seven days by the end of 2021. That's two years from now. That's plenty of time to plan and pray and prepare. And if this is something that you really want to do, I'm hoping and praying that it is. I want you to talk to me about it. Email me personally. I'm committed to helping each of us do this. And I would not be surprised If we're committed to do this, that in two years, some of you decide to permanently move your life to live among unreached people. We serve a big God that has given us a great promise to see people from every tribe and language and people and nation worship Jesus. I think it's very clear from this passage, God's kingdom is for all peoples. God's kingdom is for all nations, and we can pray, and we can give, and we can go to that end with unbelievable confidence. Let's pray. Father, we're, uh, we're grateful for how you are working and moving. Father, we're grateful for how you are a God that cares for people all over the world, that you are a global God. Father, we pray and ask that you would uh, give us open hands to do as you wish. Father, that we would um, hold open with what uh, you have for our lives with praying, with giving, and with going. Father, we we pray that we would be a people that can sing your praises here and among the the far corners of the earth. Father, I pray that you would send a multitude out from New City Church. We ask and we pray, and and we pray in great faith. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.